When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Tripe Supper, Gazette Borough's Middlesbrough Football Club podcast. What a load of tripe. Hello and thank you for joining us for what I'm sure will be an optimism-filled tripe supper. I was on holiday or I was away for the, for the last time we filmed the podcast, um, but I'm sure I saw you two, uh, Anthony Vickers and, and Jonathan Taylor, talking about how it was the most downbeat oh, podcast we've ever recorded. It was very down. We all left in tears, it was unbelievable. Now, six points out of six, suddenly Borough are looking up just Hooray. outside the, the playoff places. John, a, a, an open question to start, what's changed? Um, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into the nitty-gritty, but... Everything, everything seems to have changed. We, it, it's funny, really. This division does does this to you, doesn't it? I mean, you can be really down in the dumps, and then within one or two results, everything's changed. Everything kind of reverses, and and the whole place just seems different. I remember after that Cardiff game, there seemed to be a lot of kind of venom about, and a lot of um, negativity about all kind of not necessarily aimed at anyone in particular, but. There was certainly pressure on Gary Monk there. I thought I went into the, the three away games, obviously starting at Bournemouth, thinking he's going to have to pull out some results here because although his job might not be you know, under immediate threat, um, people are starting to turn, people are starting to question everything that he's doing. Um, now fast forward seven days and look, we're, uh, I think they, they're now joint level. We're in six with Leeds, aren't they? And they're, they're kind of the team on form and they've got a home game with Sunderland. Everything's changed, the mood's changed, the manager's got a smile on the face, the fans are confident, the team seems to have clicked. Seven days, that's all that's taken. Vic, like, like John says, there's various elements to it. You know, just, just off the top of my head, the things that spring to mind, Borough look a lot more solid at the back again. They've cut out the daft errors. Danny Ayala and Ben Gibson have turned back the clock two years, haven't they? Further forward as well, we, we've seen the partnership between yeah. Son Longer and Martin Braithwaite. There, yeah. there seems to be little partnerships emerging all over the pitch which, which have benefited Borough. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> We've been saying for about six weeks now, you know, we were waiting for the team to click. And that's sometimes you think that's a, a trite thing to say. But when there's been so much change, sometimes that's what it takes. It takes a team to bed in and play in. And a lot of the negativity was because, well, we're not getting results. Nothing's changed. But that was a time when the, the, the team was actually changing quite markedly from game to game not necessarily in personnel because it might only have been two changes in personnel but the shape would change or key players like behind the striker or central defence alongside Ben Gibson were changing so it's very hard to bed in when the spine's not in place of a team and over the last couple of weeks we've seen uh, a framework starting to emerge and once you've got the framework right then you can tinker around the edges and that's fine but there now seems to be an established shape an established centre-back pair which is what the shape is is it is it is it get bogged down in formation is it four two three one yeah i think yeah. so, so that everyone's comfortable with that 
they did pre-season like that and then it started to drift and the, the, as a result if you, when you don't get results you're under pressure to do something different and that's not always the best best way forward but we've seen a central defensive pairing and it, it was rocky for the first couple of games I mean Danny Ayala was ring rusty he, he made a couple of errors there were a lot of a lot of criticisms from the crowd saying, you know, don't let him play again, bring back Dale Fry. But sometimes you've got to stick with it and accept that when you're playing your way in, there will be teething problems. So credit to the manager for, for doing that and credit for the players for, for sticking to the task and playing through it. Just in front of those two, you've got Grant Ledbetter, whose return, I think, has been uh, very significant. When you quantify a player, it's very the modern day. Everyone looks at stats, pass completion ratios, possession, uh, miles covered, and but that doesn't tell the whole story because what a player like Grant Ledbetter brings is leadership, uh, drive, and for me, he's been the emotional fuel of the team for the last three or four years. And you can't quantify that, and having that on the pitch is really valuable. The leadership, uh, will to win. And, and they're, they're things that you need in the match day mix and which maybe were missing when they were chopping, when Monk was trying to find out his best pairing. And then further forward, we've had the emergence of Braithwaite playing just behind Britta Sombolonga. They're arguably Borough's two most potent front men. I mean, the stats show that, 10 goals between them. Uh, but them playing together and learning how each other plays and the little moves that each other make, that's been valuable as well. Uh, the important thing is that with that framework there, that the team don't get complacent, keep working, keep looking to improve, and let's hear some of those clicking noises at home as well. Experience there, you, you touched on. Grant Ledbetter has been excellent, and, and I'm sure when he retires, he could put on a roadshow of how to take penalties, and, and he'd sell out everywhere he went, wouldn't he? Um, Stuart Downing's another one who, who's really emerged. Him, Danny Ayala, Grant Ledbetter have now played four games in a row, and we're all benefiting. But at the other end of the spectrum, John, there's Marcus Tavernier now. You spoke there about um, how it was a big, how you know it was a big spell for Monk, and how how there was dissent, and there was after that Cardiff game. How how brave of uh, of the manager was it then to, to put in an eighteen year old, largely untried player for what was a massive game at Reading? Yeah, I think I think there's two parts to it, isn't there? One of them is yes, I think Gary Monk deserves a lot of credit. He, you know, most times this season, really, he's kind of tried to try to run a meritocracy, hasn't he? And and we've kind of praised him for that at times. Um, yeah, partly I think that he deserves a lot of credit because obviously Tavernier did well in the in the cup games. He actually scored at Bournemouth and on a night uh, and certainly at a time where again, I mean, there were there were serious questions being asked of Monk after that Bournemouth game. He stuck with the player that that he got saw the most out of. But equally, on the other hand, I think that that's also as we we said in the office plenty of times, it's a damning indictment of of the other wingers on the books that that aren't near the team. Um, I mean, you look at Adama Traore, you look at Marvin Johnson, you could argue Patrick Bamford probably fits in that category, albeit not a natural winger. The fact that an 18-year-old is in the team and, and playing well, they should take that personally, and I'm sure Gary Monk will say the same, because if any of those had shown anywhere near a kind of a, a consistency in terms of form and performance, and that's the key, isn't it? It's not it's not the level of form; it's a consistency. Yes, yeah, and, and neither of them, you know, have a look at Traore. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's too. I think Monk deserves credit for it, but equally, I think that he was almost forced into it a little bit because no one really was knocking on his door. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think as Vic said, like the, the spine's there, and he's had to make quite a few big decisions. You look at look at Danny Ayala, He obviously came in, and 
I don't think Borough were outstanding. Certainly, I don't remember the Cardiff game. I mean, they weren't outstanding. I remember Barnsley away, defensively poor. That was Ayala's first game back in, if I remember. So he could have changed it again, but his decision to stick with Ayala could have backfired, didn't. His decision to actually drop Adam Clayton out of the picture and, and almost he's dropped a specialist out of the two holding midfielders for me. In Clayton is the specialist defensive midfielder, but what he has brought in in Ledbetter and Housen is two people that can do a bit of everything. And that, I think, is a decision that has clearly been vindicated as well. So he's made some big calls that have actually come off now. When, when the team news drops an hour before kickoff now, your eyes don't just focus on who's starting, but, but it's who's going to miss out. Squad, I mean, yeah. you, you, look at, you look at Tuesday and Saturday and, and you've got players like Lewis Baker on loan from Chelsea and who was in demand yeah. in the summer. Ryan Schott, who Borough waited for what felt like an eternity mm. to sign him. Um, Ashley Fletcher or Patrick Bamford. We've talked about Adam Clayton, who... Who I saw described a few times as the best uh, defensive midfielder in the championship. What, what have they got to do, Vic, to get back in, or, or is it now just a case of them almost waiting for those who, who've got the shirt to slip up? Yeah, it is a question of waiting. Uh, that is symptomatic, maybe, of the size of the squad. I mean, we, we've hinted at a few times that maybe there's too many first-team players in there. Uh, most teams probably have 13 or 14 first-choice players, and then. You know, a scattering of, of uh, reserves in, uh, on the bench. Here, we've got six, eight, ten players every week who will feel that they should be in the first team, including some that the manager has brought in himself. So, that they are big, big political problems that earn a manager that they're corn. It's about keeping people happy. It's about persuading people uh, who are on the fringes that they will get their chance. But it's easy to win those arguments if you're winning games. If you're winning games, there's nobody on the fringes can say, I should be in the team. And maybe early on, that was part of the problem, in that you weren't getting results, and then people outside should be saying, well, give me a go, boss, give me a go, boss. And that must be very hard to say no if the last two games you've underperformed or the team's not working. That's when you get the temptation to make changes. Uh, winning games makes it much easier for the manager to stick by what he, he wants to do and to persuade players, sorry, but you're going to have to bide your time. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem for Monk uh, in a good way. It's one of those good, good, uh, good selection headaches that we always hear of being, being spoken about. When, when Monk looks at the other two teams that were relegated from the Premier League last year, he looks at Simon Grayson, who was sacked before he got a chance to speak to his players after the, the 3-3 draw with Bolton, and then um, Leonid Slutsky, who, who looked like a man with the weight of the word weight of the world on his shoulders in what was a brilliant post-match press mm. conference, be it long, on Tuesday night. Monk will look, won't he, and almost kind of it, it, it helps you realise just how fortunate he is at Borough. Yeah, he is. He's absolutely very fortunate. And, and that, that's part of where the pressure comes from. I mean, Borough have the best squad in the Championship. So therefore, if they go five or six games without a win, the, those questions will come up. And it's, part, it's, it's exactly what you would have expected. I think he almost, for Monk, you get the impression he had to hit rock bottom or as close to rock bottom as he's got after that Cardiff game while in charge of Borough to then kind of start making some really big calls and backing himself. Because if you look, I mean, down in previous weeks, Adam Traore, for example, has been in and out of the squad. But I think Gary Monk had to hit rock bottom before he said, no, right, I'm now going to play Marcus Tavernier and I'm going to stick with him for three games because I need results and it's, it's my decision. And equally, dropping someone like an Adam Clayton, I think that 
by by having the gun turned on him, I think Monk has actually uh, almost come into his own, and from there we've seen the, the so-called vision and identity that we've been craving for. I, I think it's a big plus for Monk. Now. I think you, you you talk about Traore there. It's interesting because you look back at the Reading and Hull games, and and there's been a certain time in the second half of both games when home teams have been committed bodies forwards, leaving themselves vulnerable and exposed at the back. And watching on, you thought, this is perfect for yeah. Adama Traore's pace on the counter. You almost get the impression, Vic, that he needs to, you know, after, the, after missing the bus and after getting sent off and after giving away the penalty, that he needs to earn Monk's trust again. Because otherwise, that, those course. games were perfect for him, weren't they? Yeah, of course. That, that is part and parcel of being a footballer. It's all very well having talent, but somehow that has to be harnessed by the team. And it may well be that the manager feels that that has been one of the problems. The lack of discipline down that flank, uh, the inability to be able to rely on him to keep shape, keep the ball, uh, you know, recycle the ball uh, uh, in an intelligent and efficient way rather than putting his head down and running, which, which we all love to see. You know, there's nothing more exciting than seeing Triori fire up the afterburners and just go screaming forward. But if that's not effective, the manager has to make that decision. And results have showed that actually this is a more effective way forward. I think one thing I did quite enjoy about Monk on Tuesday, she chats her in the press room as well, but I, I quite like that he, he seems very constant. He always seems very level. I remember the, obviously the, what he was saying after that Cardiff game and you know some managers you know, might have kind of flown off the handle or started lobbing grenades into the press conference. Um, he wasn't. He, he was pretty level-headed, and, and his, his demeanour was quite calm. And it was exactly the same. I thought on Tuesday, he didn't allow himself to go too high. Obviously, the ten, it, it would be very easy for him to say, "Ah, oh, finally, look, we've clicked, and I knew that it, this is it." Again, he kind of said, "Look, look, it, we, we're fine. We, we're doing well. We've had a good week. Now let's make it a great week." I think that he's very level. And if you look at some of the successful managers, certainly successful British managers, you know, dare I say, I, I think Sean Dyche is certainly in that mix. And, they, they, seem, they don't seem to get too down or too high depending on the results and I think that's what that was a good thing for Monk After Saturday's game he spoke about getting the balance didn't he and he, he accepted that that has been a struggle in the early stages of the season and I thought there was, there was, there was an irony to Hull on Tuesday night because back in April when Borough played at Hull and, and got beat in Steve Agnew's second game in charge I think it was the balance that night was, was all over the place, wasn't it? Because Agnew, yeah. clearly clearly a bit uncertain in his own mind as to, as to what he wanted. Well, he, he was clear as to what he wanted, but how he wanted to get it. 4-4-2, started with Negredo um, and Gusted well, up front. He, he, but in doing so, left themselves exposed at the back. We, there has been a much more balanced look yeah, to put it. I mean, that, that was a, uh, a bizarre set of circumstances in which a team that had been drilled mechanically into defensive safety first strategy for two years was suddenly told right go for it and there was massive spaces all over the pitch I mean that, that match could have ended any result and it was a complete dog's breakfast and it was in the middle of the, the week of destiny and the pressure was on and uh, the, the club was in disarray behind the scenes so I, I don't think you can draw too many lessons from, from that but what you have now is a, a team that's been reshaped uh, it's very hard sometimes to do that you know, you've got to rewire the mentality of a club and that's, that's harder sometimes than people realise uh, there's still 8 or 10 players within the club that, that did you know, go through the, the Aitor Karanka uh, regime and, and you know, you, certain things get drilled down into you in terms of how you play and it's very very hard sometimes to rebuild and using those, the same players to play in a different way with a different mentality 
and you know you brought ten players in, but that doesn't necessarily change the DNA of the club. So I do think we've moved on. I think maybe it took longer to settle than we thought, and maybe the pressure uh, on the, the team in the early part of this season is because maybe the fans. It took a longer time to adjust than we thought as well. But I think saying that, you can't get away from the fact that performances were below par. No, they were, they were but I mean, the, the, there are reasons for that. I and mean, one of the reasons is that the club was in flux. You know, you bring in a lot of people. It's all very well people saying, well, uh, that's an excuse. Uh, you should be out of bed in really quickly as professional players. But we've, you know, we've, we've sat here and analysed it week after week. And very often, from one week to the next, it's been a different team in the sense that the complexion's been different the mentality's been different the shape's been different and it's very hard sometimes to feel your way to a new methodology if you're not getting results I think balance is an interesting word that we just talked about there because I think that a Middlesbrough playing at home at the minute and a Middlesbrough playing away are very are two very different teams um, I think it's no coincidence that away from home Borough are now six unbeaten in the league because they look like a team that seem more confident playing away from home at the minute and I mean look we touched it in the office about how the possession um, stats have completely differed from when Borough at home and away at home Borough have the ball and have to try and break teams down and they're getting caught on the counter whereas in the last two games where Borough have had arguably the biggest successes of the season they've had 30% 40% possession and they've been the one that's countering so I do think, kind of looking forward, I don't think Borough have finished the article yet, and I think that they will have kind of more hurdles to, to leap, especially, as I'm sure we'll come on to, the Sunderland game at home, where, again, the ball will be with them, and they then have to go and break down a team. That's the challenge. I think, away from home, Monk's almost come across the perfect blueprint um, to get the best out of the defence and the attack at home. I still think there's a way to go before Borough are completely there. How, how do Borough approach Sunday, then? Well, we... They're going to have all of the ball, and Sunderland are going to try. So same and... team. Yeah, I would say so. You have to, I think. Um, I, I don't know what the makeup of the bench would be like, but I, I, I don't see any reason why you would change the starting lineup. I mean, I think everyone in there is in there on merit. I mean, you could argue left back, depending on if Fabio is has recovered from his illness or, or whatever. George played pretty well when he came on. Yeah. Other than that, I think is anyone. I mean, Tavernier is the one where everyone will say, oh, well, maybe he's the one to drop out, but is there anyone jumping off the page to say he has to start? I'm not sure, because I think, actually think Downing has been far more effective on the right-hand side in terms of options on the left. I mean, Tavernier is probably top of the list, isn't he? Yeah, it's cracking that home form, isn't it, Vic? Because, but it, as we touched on earlier today in the office, it's been hard to put your finger on exactly what Borough have been trying to do at home so yeah. far. They have looked a little lost yeah. and confused at times. So, so Sunday, on the back of two wins, is going to be quite telling, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it will be interesting to see how far the mentality has changed. Uh, obviously, uh, the last couple of home games, Brentford and Cardiff, the, the atmosphere was very, very flat and uh, simmering. You know, There was an undercurrent of... of uh, discontent but it's amazing what, what two wins on the bounce will do I mean, we, you know, everyone came away from hell smiling and singing and we've got a couple of new songs a couple of new heroes and a bit of momentum to take into a game where you know, against a team that are in disarray and Borough should really be taking advantage of that and it would be interesting to see what the atmosphere there is because the, how, how will the Sunderland fans travel I mean they're going to be in a very strange situation aren't they so it, it could be a, a, an interesting atmosphere but I think if Borough get at Sunderland early if you know if they come out confident 
and uh, as Jono says, you know, we're going to have a lot of the ball. If you can make that count and use the ball properly and get an early goal, then you know, who knows what could happen. That's the crucial bit, the early goal, isn't it? Because if you, if you look at Reading and Hull, I think Borough scored in the first 15 minutes of both games and we all trotted out the, the stats of, you know, Borough, I think they conceded the first goal in eight of the first 13 league games. And that's the crucial. But when Borough get in front, we know what they're like and they've got the players and especially with Grant in midfield, they've got the personnel to kind of manage the game through. Um, it'll, it's all about getting that early goal and the longer it doesn't come, that's when the, we'll really will learn whether the mentality of the Borough players has changed and whether they, they have overcome their little mini slump. Or equally, if dare we say it, Sunderland score an early goal, that's when we'll see the true metal of this Borough team in, in adversity at home. But... Um, there's no doubt that both teams are going into the game completely the opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Well, here's hoping this time next week we're doing another tribe with a smile on our face instead of moping into this office <laughs> to record it. Thank you, fellas. Thanks a lot. <laughs>